Hello and welcome to the Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, the Nationals field is set, the Nationals case is out, and it is the most interesting time of the year for AMTA. We've got so much going on as we are winding towards the end of the season. I feel like we say this every year, but it's truly hard to believe that the season is almost over. I feel like it was yesterday that we talked to uh, Travis and Stella after they won the championship in Lancaster last year, and we've got a ton going on. I know that you have gotten a chance to look through the Nationals case and Obviously, I'm sure Haverford is, is hard at work getting ready for, for Memphis. Now, of course, we're going to have an episode where we talk about the Nationals case in detail. Um, but first, Drew, just you know, before we get into the two orcs that we have remaining, how are you feeling? How's Haverford feeling as y'all are starting to get ready for NCT? So I, I want to also give the disclaimer that any any success they have is is definitely not because of me. I'm not doing as much with them as as most coaches probably do. I, I think to call myself a coach is probably uh, unfair extrapolation. <laughs> but um, I do know that they're hard at work and and I plan on reading through the case more thoroughly and helping them once my Tyla competition is done. And hopefully I can assist them in whatever ways that I can. But um, I know that they are really excited. I've read briefly through the new case and I've spoken with a lot of people I think it's an interesting one. It's definitely a very new topic to get into legal malpractice. I think that what is most exciting about it to me is just people getting exposed to a different you know, type of case. I think we get so used to the murder, wrongful death, arsony, like, I, I don't know. Like, I just think that those types of, of cases are, are kind of easy, low-hanging fruit and I remember the Riley Winter, like age discrimination case, or um, I'm spacing on the name of it, but when they did the like copyright infringement stuff, um, like I think that those kind of, yes, trifecta, thank you. Um, I think that those, or, or I mean, even the defamation case that we had, um, without getting too much into that case, because that one got interesting, but like, I think that I like when we kind of attack these newer uh not not newer, but just different issues that are still important parts of the law. I think that they expose people to worlds outside of the basic just negligence, civil cases, and criminal, you know, murder, robbery, whatever type of criminal cases. So I'm excited about the topic for sure, and I agree that it is definitely the most exciting time of the year. If we haven't said that for the last three episodes, I think that this might take the case that this might take the cake purely from being nationals. I mean, it's it's nationals. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair observation. I have sort of two thoughts. The, the first one, I've not read the case, but I've, I've heard a lot of descriptions of it. I've read a lot of the stuff that people have said in our mock review discord. Um, I do not think it is a coincidence that this case was written by Justin Bernstein and his merry band of law students, because it sounds like a law school case, to be completely honest. Um, and I've heard some who have observed some similarities between this and some law school cases. Um you know, I have my thoughts on whether or not that's a good idea. We'll get into that in another episode, I'm sure. But uh, bottom line is, I think that it, I agree with you that it's a really interesting topic, and kind of fascinating that we're going that route. Uh, the only other thing I'll mention before we get into our two orcs that we're discussing today, if I sound a little weird, um, I'm not in my usual recording studio, so I'm kind of jerry-rigging things as best I can with my microphone uh, from a remote location. So it's not our editor's fault. It is entirely my fault not being in my usual basement studio uh, where we usually record. 
so today we've got two orcs that we're going to discuss, and we've got a couple other things we're going to talk about at the end of the episode. Uh, but before we get into that, Drew, you of course mentioned in passing that you're getting ready for Thailand Nationals. That's got to be really exciting. So how are you feeling going into you know such a big law school competition? Uh, I'm really honestly like I'm I'm at that stage where I'm excited, but I'm also getting crazy nervous for it. I think that um, it, it's very odd to me. I think that there was definitely a lot of stress going into the regional tournament and wanting to do well there. But I think there's a just certain weight and gravity that comes with nationals at any competition that I'm really starting to feel right now. So I'm definitely getting excited for it. I just scrimmaged a few of you know some past AMTA competitors that I'm still good friends with that compete. And I've got another one um, this weekend. So lots to look forward to. And I'm just having a lot of fun with it. But I know people are here for those orcs. So I'm happy to just get right into it. If you want to take us to Cincinnati first, yeah. Ben. That sounds great. All right, so we got two orcs to discuss. The first one is the Cincinnati orcs. Uh, like all orcs, this one had six bids. Those bids in order were Yale A with eight wins and a 21 CS, Ohio State A, seven and a half wins and a 14 and a half CS, Patrick Henry A, six wins and 18 CS and a 70 and a half OCS, Indiana A, six wins and 18 CS and a 62 and a half OCS, Cincinnati, six wins and a 15 and a half CS. And Juniata A, five and a half wins and a ten and a half CS. We had one A group team here that did not get out, and that was Northwood A. Uh, they were the A three team. The reason they didn't get out was Michigan B actually managed to take ballots from them in round four in that A group versus B group round, and that meant that Northwood was not able to get through, and Juniata was able to grab that last bid. Uh, a couple quick observations here. We were in Cincinnati last year, and if I recall correctly, I think Juniata grabbed the sixth and final bid out of Cincinnati in last year's orcs as well. So clearly if I'm Juniata, you know, keep, keep sending me to Cincinnati because clearly two years in a row, they've, they've done something right to be able to get out of there. Uh, an extremely impressive and eye catching result from Yale to go undefeated, but to go undefeated with one of the highest bid CSs, highest CSs period that we've seen at any orcs so far, you know, the whole point of, of Bernstein's crazy system is to keep the CS down at orcs yale manages to roll through go eight and with a 21 cs look this time of year when ale when yale is clicking you got to pay attention that's a really big deal um a couple other results here that caught my attention michigan state who uh kind of broke out last year we played them in round four in cincinnati and both us and them went to nationals um they did not get through and the reason is and they were b1 and in their a versus b round in round four they needed ballots and they played Patrick Henry and Patrick Henry won that round uh, in order to get through. Uh, now what's interesting is Patrick Henry obviously had a very, very strong weekend, but their one blemish, the reason they went six and two is in the high, high pairing. I assume um, in round three, they dropped a minus one minus eight to Yale a, and I must say we've been not that far away a couple years over the last few nationals, to having a Patrick Henry A versus Yale A national final round. Um, in fact, if I recall correctly, the year that Yale finished runner-up to us in 2021, I believe Patrick Henry A and Yale A played in round three at nationals that year. So to see those teams go go at it against each other, to see Yale get the win over Patrick Henry, definitely something that catches my eye in terms of a rematch possibility if they're in the same division or a national final round possibility, just given how great 
uh, both of those teams are. Uh, Drew, I've gone through a couple things here, but I want to leave some stuff for you. So what stood out to you about the Cincinnati results? Yeah, Ben, I think you really did cover a lot of the things I was going to talk about, but a few things I'll just add. Um, First of all, Ohio State, I feel like they're one of those programs where for a little while they were you know, top 10, absolutely elite. And then they kind of dropped off a little bit. But to come here in their A team to go seven and a half with, you know, a very close first round, which is a little bit surprising, I think, to Dayton, again, just a minus one and tie. And then to just clean house the rest of the way is very impressive. And their B team went five and three, also extremely impressive and very encouraging. Um, if I'm Ohio State to kind of get back on track to being the type of team that goes, uh, you know, and and is in the top 10 at nationals. So I think that they're a team that I'm keeping my eye on. A few others that I wanted to highlight, though, um, I think that we kind of talked a lot about uh, like certain programs like Dartmouth and Pitt, um, UT Knoxville, like all right on the edge right there for making it out. Not quite able to, um, but definitely some some solid showings out of those teams. Um, and then I, I think I'm glad you kind of mentioned Michigan B keeping Northwood out. Michigan has obviously had such a strong year, very hyped up program that people have been talking about as a potential finalist. Um, I think that their B team, I had high expectations for, and I think that they didn't disappoint. I mean, five and three is always very impressive. It's tough to do that well at Orcs. They had a really unfortunate matchup, um, against Case Western round three. They dropped both by just two points and that kind of put both them and Case Western in that kind of, you know, all right, we're, we're five and, you know, Case Western's five and one, uh, and it puts, uh, sorry, it puts Michigan at, at three and three. So it seems like, okay, good for Case Western. They're going to be in a spot to make it out. And then they, of course, drew OSUA uh, in the last round. And that, that shuts Case Western's chances out the door and heartbreaker for them because they have a minus one and a minus nine and if that minus one even turns into just a tie they're going to have the cs tiebreaker to make it out so definitely heartbreak for case western um but you know impressive out of them and michigan in my opinion to both be going five and three and to have had such close rounds um i think the only other thing i wanted to mention is just you know talking about juniata you know they obviously look you make it out and you, you do what you can but I, I just want to note the the five and a half wins with a ten and a half CS, and I sort of said something similar about Penn when they had basically this exact same record. Um, it, you know, it, again, it's just it, it doesn't mean that they are not good that they don't deserve it, but it's just interesting to note when they have such a low CS and are kind of right on that fringe. But hey, I look forward to seeing what Juniata is able to put together at nationals. Um, I you know. You pointed out, Ben, that this is not the first time they've made it. This is their second time in a row. That is a good sign for that program. And who cares how you make it? You're there. Let's see what you can do. So definitely, I'm impressed from by them to have done it two years in a row. And I think that, honestly, like this regional or this orcs, I apologize, just isn't all that terribly surprising. I mean, Northwood not making it out. You know, they are an A group team. But I feel like Indiana has been so hyped up this year. They're the only non-A group team to make it. And if I was betting, you know, it's to me, Indiana, Case Western, Michigan B, those are the teams that I probably had on, and Michigan State A, like those are the teams that I had on my list to make it out. And so I'm not terribly shocked that Indiana scooped that last bid, and I'm excited for them to see what they can do. Always rooting for those C group teams. Um, other than that, though, Ben, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we go to Greenville? I think you mostly covered it. I, I will say 
I agree with you about what you were just saying about Indiana. I will say, given the caliber of the B group here, for none of the B group teams to get out when you've got Michigan State, Case Western, Michigan B, Pitt, Dartmouth, and SUNY Binghamton, all teams that have had a lot of success recently, like, I wouldn't have picked, you know, if you said to me, pick a non-A group team, I wouldn't have picked Indiana first, and that's not a slight to Indiana. I would have picked one of these B group teams, you know, might have been like Dartmouth, a team that's been so close, Case Western, a team that's made nationals and been really close and things like that. So I think it's a really, really impressive accomplishment for Indiana to jump over the B group and get through. Um, And then my only other note about uh, Yale is I just think their path, I was just kind of looking through here, how they got to their 21 CS. And aside from Patrick Henry, who went six and two, Yale played three teams that went five and three. And there were no five win teams that got out at this works. And so basically, you know, if you played Yale, if you were one of those teams, so like UT Knoxville went five and three, they dropped those two. They needed to be perfect the rest of the way and they weren't able to pull it off. Um, Similarly, uh, let's see, Yale's round two opponent, 11-15, was Ohio State B, who were you just talking about? And unfortunately, you know, aside from playing Yale, only dropped one ballot. But just to get a bid to nationals going 8-0, playing Five and three, five and three, six and two, five and three is about as challenging of a pass. And I think what I'll note about sort of Yale's path versus Juniata's path is you see, even within this system, right, you see the difference between winning your first round, your D group round, and splitting your D group round, and like how that can change the path that you end up on. Both teams obviously were able to execute, were able to get out, but there was very different paths that they went through to get through this works. Um, that's about all that I see here. I think it's a very interesting set of results and I definitely have my eye on a few teams, like I said, Yale and Patrick Henry, but probably also Ohio state. And I guess the only other thing that I'll mention, we haven't, the one team that maybe we haven't dwelled on as much is Cincinnati. Um, obviously this is the Cincinnati orcs. Cincinnati is a very, very good team that I know has been having a strong season. They went six and two. They had splits. I'm just kind of looking through here against against Indiana. So, so Cincinnati and Indiana split there and then Cincinnati also split, split with Juniata. So a tough path for them to play two other teams that are getting out. And they're a team that I think could make some noise at nationals as well. Uh, Drew, if you don't have anything else though, I think you can go ahead and move us to Greenville. Awesome. All right. Well, you know, I'm, I have no problem making this, this whole episode a little bit on the shorter side when you only got two orcs to review, it makes it a lot easier. So let's go ahead and go down to Greenville uh, so in Greenville, of course, we had six bids, starting with UGAA with seven and a half wins and a 15 CS, followed by Florida B with seven wins and a 15 CS, then Florida A with six wins and a 19 CS, followed by Georgetown A with six wins and a 14 and a half CS, then Georgia Tech A with six wins and a 14 CS, and finally UT Chattanooga with five and a half wins, a 14 CS, and we have to go to OCS a 71 and a half OCS. I got to say this is heartbreaking, but the reason we have to go to OCS is that there was one honorable mention, Furman A with five and a half wins, another 14 CS and a 70 and a half OCS. Before we say anything else, I just, my heart goes out to Furman from the perspective of one win from your opponent's opponents is what keeps them out. That is just, I I don't know. It's just, it absolutely sucks. 
Um, you know, I'm sure that like Furman and, and UT Chattanooga, I'm sure both were phenomenal teams. And I, I don't want to be the one to have to choose between the two of them. Um, what's actually funny is that if you, if you decided, oh, well, why don't we use a different tiebreaker? What if we looked at PD? UT Chattanooga's bought a, got a plus 22. Furman's got a plus 24. I mean, it's literally two PD apart. These are just two really, really close teams. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at the the wins and losses, Furman has a minus one, a zero, and a minus two. UT Chattanooga has, a, of course, a, a tie, and then a minus three and a minus six. I mean, these are both teams that were just so close the whole way. Uh, you know, both of them, their biggest win was by 12. I mean, they're just, all these rounds seem like they were so close, could have gone either way. It just seems so tough to differentiate between the two of them. And a piece of me just hates that it came down to OCS, but that's how it goes. And you got to choose something. So Furman, I am, I'm so sorry for you guys. And, you know, UT Chattanooga, good for you guys, excited for you to get to move on. Um, I will, I'll kind of note this. It is kind of interesting to me. UT Chattanooga going into that last round was five and a half. Um, they had, you you know, five wins and a tie. To me, there's, I know that this should never be it, but like, I want them to have to win that last round. Like that should be an important round. I mean, that's against Florida A and that's tough, but they got swept that last round um, and they were still able to make it out. Whereas Furman has another tough matchup with Duke A and they managed to split that round and that's what's getting them to five and a half. You know, it, it just, it's so tough to, to differentiate at that point, but it is just kind of interesting to me. You know, I think that a lot of people would have said like, oh, you're five and a half, you know, you just need to get a, another tie. You need to get to six wins. They get swept, but enough other things fall into place that they make it through and they're fine. Um, so, you know, again, good on the teams that make it. For those that don't, you know, my heart goes out to you. I think the thing that we have to highlight, though, and I want to mention before I send it to you, Ben, is, of course, Duke A not making it out. Um, I got to say, I think this is probably the biggest surprise of the weekend, and I think there's nothing else that's even close to it. Duke is an A1 team. Um, I, you know, I, I forget what they're ranked. I think it's seven, maybe, something like that, overall in TPR. They're way up there. Um, you know, they went five and three with an 18 and a half CS. I, I mentioned that last round split with Furman is what kept them out. Um, I mean, just brutal bad luck for them. Um, they had three splits on the weekend with Georgia State in round two, with Georgetown in round three, and with Furman in round four. I mean, all those are super, super close. You look at the Georgia State round, and it's a plus 20 minus 10. The Georgetown round is a plus two minus one. And then the Furman round is a plus two minus four. Like, all of them are just, to me, either so close or they're, you know, the plus 20 minus 10, they're both so divisive. I mean, it's just, it's hard to know um, what that really says and what that means. But man, does that sound like they had a brutal, brutal weekend. And uh, obviously we feel for Duke. But other than that, I mean, it is pretty much the chalk teams making it out. The five other A group teams are making it pretty comfortably from what I see. Um, of course, Florida had to take both in that last round, Florida A team. Um, their B team had an absolute just tear going seven and one, um, just dropping that last uh, one ballot in that last round um, against South Carolina B, and it was a plus 24 minus four. So Florida B is looking very, very scary. Um, I think that UGAA coming in first here is also noteworthy. Um, you know, literally going, you know, again, seven and a half is, was the best record anyone had had. 
um, ex- until Yale A just did what they did in the last orcs. But seven and a half is always incredibly impressive um, from anyone. And, you know, they they did it by sweeping Florida A. And I mean, that Georgia A, Florida A is, you know, probably the two best programs in the South, arguably, going head to head. And Georgia took it comfortably. A plus 15, plus 14 is definitely not what anyone was expecting and definitely very encouraging if you're Georgia um, and you're looking to kind of break into that final round territory. So exciting for them. Obviously, Florida's depth on, on you know, full display here. Um, and just like I said, I mean, heartbreak for Duke, but exciting for everyone else. Um, ben, I, I, I definitely there's some other things to chat about here. I'll toss it over to you. What else you're seeing here? Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the major things. I really agree with you that with the one major exception of Duke, that this is, you know, I mean, it is actually really interesting that both orcs um, that we see in week two had five A group teams. I feel like I don't remember exactly how many orcs in week one were that many, but I know, like, I know there was one, I think it was DC, where only two A group teams made it out. And so it is really interesting that you see you know, like to you, to borrow your term, basically just like chalk coming straight out, um, what you would expect based on the numbers. Um, I'm not going to dwell on Furman too much longer. Uh, it's a huge bummer not to see them at nationals and that's not anything against UT Chattanooga a program that we know and like. Um, but I think Murray Edwards is one of the genuine superstars at a time when maybe, you know, Drew and I, you, you drew you and I were talking about this not too long ago. I think this was a conversation in our discord, actually, you know, the number of competitors that you might qualify as like sort of like really big names. I feel like there's not as many right now as there used to be, but I think Murray Edwards from Furman as a TBC finalist or semi-finalist last year, clearly, you know, occupies that space and is someone I really wish we were getting to see at nationals. So a bummer there. Um, I'm really glad that you highlighted Georgia I think I've mentioned them a couple times throughout the season. They are a team I very much have my eye on. I think they've been building. I think they're really strong. Obviously, like, you know, Greenville and Memphis are not the same place, to be very clear. But you have to think that there's at least some degree of, like, what the judges in Greenville and what the judges in Memphis like. You got to think those are at least going to be some common ground. And for a team like Georgia to have success here, I think certainly highlights that they could go and have a lot of success um, at NCT. So they're a team I have my eye on. You highlighted Florida. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Georgetown, just sort of the little engine that always can, um, which is, I know a little bit ironic to say about a school like Georgetown, but like, I feel like Georgetown is just so consistent. We hit them all the time. They're always clean. They're always strong. Not surprising at all. Um, and I kind of feel similarly about Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech is a program that's had a lot of success this year. Obviously, you know, very well known, some very successful competitors. And so to see Georgia Tech grab a bid to nationals, not the least bit surprising. You know, they're a team when I was thinking about um, when it comes to tiebreakers, right? I believe it was 2017 that they had a tie with Yale to get to the final round. And if I recall correctly, I think Yale won on head to head that year and they were able to jump ahead of Georgia Tech and go into that final against UVA. But Tech is such a strong program, such an elite program. Um, Not surprised at all to see them there. I think the only other thing that I'll mention, you know, Drew, you talked about Duke, so I don't want to belabor that point either. I'll just say we hit Duke all the time. We go to their tournament. We've seen them several times. I think that they're phenomenal. I think that they're incredible. Nellie Sun is one of my favorite attorneys in AMTA. Um, 
and just a huge bummer not to see them at nationals. Not that the other teams that got in deserve it. You know, one don't, don't deserve it, but I think Duke is just a great program. I think they play a really, you know, clean and strong style of mock trial that does well at nationals. So a bit of a bummer on my end, you know, not to see them there. Uh, other than that though, I mean, this is another area where you had a strong, uh, B group team. I'll mention it just cause I think they're such a great program. South Carolina B not getting through means that they won't have a spot at nationals, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, and then you just said, you know, had tech B Duke B Georgia B, you know, all of these really strong B B teams in the B group. Um, so just a really, really tough orcs. And obviously, you know, with one exception, it was sort of the top teams that rose to the top here. Uh, that's about all that I saw here, Drew. Anything else on your end before we wrap up uh, the orcs we were talking about? This yeah, there, there are two things I wanted to mention really quickly. Um, one is is I wanted to shout out a name. And I, I, I got to say, I don't remember if I actually said his name before on the podcast or I just have thought it. But um Back in my days uh, coaching Galloway at the high school level in Georgia, I remember we got um, to the state tournament and lost to this team that was very good. And they had this one attorney who was excellent. His name was Brian Walker. And I remember watching him go and being like, wow, that kid is going to be at TBC one day. He's just phenomenal. And I, I don't I don't think I ever mentioned it on the podcast, but um, I just wanted to mention that he got an attorney award here for UGA. He's on their A team and obviously they are rolling right now. So I just wanted to mention him as a, a name to watch as a potential um, emerging uh, name when we talk about kind of you know, mock trial, all-star type of people, you know, the, the Travis Harpers of the world right now. Um, I, I kind of think that he might be a name we start seeing a lot of. And of course, you know, you mentioned Mara Edwards. She's at the top of that outstanding attorney list, but just another one to keep your eye on, I think. I want to see how Brian Walker does at nationals, but I think he's definitely one that I'm, I'm paying attention to. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention very quickly is just kind of a shocking and disappointing result for them. Uh, Georgia state, you know, after they did so well at, at regionals this year, their first day, or I should say their first two rounds, they go three and one against their A and B teams. Um, and, and I mean, you've got to be feeling, they took one off of Duke A, if you're Georgia State, you're like, holy cow, we're three and one going into our round C and D. That's got to be, we're, we got to be good. And then they go 0 and 4 against their C and D and don't make it out. Um, it just feels oh, so gutting um, to, you know, kind of get it done on the hard end and then not able to clean up on the other. Um, but again, you know, you, it's tough. I mean, there are no really bad teams at Orcs anymore. Everyone has earned their spot there. And it can be tough to make it out. So I just wanted to mention that. It's just kind of a, ugh, like, I feel bad for him. Um, okay. The only other thing I wanted to mention before we finish up with orcs is that Sam actually sent me some case balance stats that I wanted to mention to everyone. Because um, I just think that they're kind of interesting. Obviously, we'll get the final memo on this later. But um, I just kind of think that they were interesting to see. So obviously, we saw a, a huge plaintiff bias um, at the regionals level. But we actually saw that go down tremendously at Orcs, um, down to just a 1% bias overall for the plaintiff and a 2% bias in round three. Um, you know, I, I think that is a very good sign that those changes worked. Um, I, I find that to be fascinating um, and just kind of an interesting thing to, to be noting. Uh, I know that a lot of people felt like some of the case changes were uh, a lot or dramatic or too much. 
Um, but just to kind of note that for everyone, I, I, I thought those case changes clearly did their job going from one of the, the most imbalanced cases to among the most balanced cases we've ever had at work. So good on that case committee. And I guess, you know, now that we've got the Nationals case committee, just excited to see what we do with that one. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up those statistics, Drew. Now, you hadn't mentioned that to me before, so I, I'm learning about that now. And and my initial reaction is I'm not surprised whatsoever. I thought that the case at Oryx felt significantly more balanced than the case in um, in previous tournaments, at regional, stuff like that. My only observation on that is I think moving forward, obviously next year we're back to criminal, but thinking about future civil cases for, for the, you know, setting aside the Nationals case, which is kind of a unique uh, type of, of litigation, I think that future civil case committees, presuming Sam and Elise or some combination of this current committee stays intact, have to really think about, you know, how they're going to allocate burdens and the strength of opinions relative to those burdens. You know, I'm not criticizing the, the case committee for this, but there were a lot of people who flagged pretty early on that the combination of the defense having to take on a burden and the defense having sort of the standard AMTA weaker opinions was not a good combination. And I felt like it, that was becoming clear as the season went on. And I think that we've kind of learned a lesson that you got to do one or the other, right? You can't give the defense both a burden of proof and an opinion that in court would be, you know, would essentially be laughed out of court by a judge if you were actually trying to put it forth to, to prove, you know, more likely than not when you have, you know, experts who are saying, well, maybe it could have been this. And so all they really had to do to balance the case, I mean, that's unfair. They did a lot of different things, but the major change was saying to the defense, Hey, you don't actually have to take on a burden. You can, if you want, it's totally up to you, but you can go back to the classic, you know, we're not, we're not strengthening your opinions for the most part, but you can go back to the classic, you know, not our job to prove it, their job to prove it. And I think that's kind of the safe space that we've known for years that like, if you do that and you write the opinions a certain way, you end up with a pretty balanced case. So I'm not overly shocked to see those results. thought the case felt pretty balanced. I think my only thought is it would have been nice to have that in effect at regionals so that we could have gotten a feel for it because there was definitely disagreement across the circuit for like, what does this case law mean? What does it actually mean in terms of when a team has a burden and when a team doesn't? I had a different take on it than I know some other coaches did, and I would have liked to have more time to kind of flesh that out. But that's the nature of the beast. That's how things go at Orcs, and those statistics are very interesting uh, to hear about. Yeah, and Ben, I know that you want to close by making an announcement, but I just really want to quickly mention that I, I really agree with what you said, and especially when it comes to the experts. I think it's just really tough to have a preponderance burden, but your expert saying, essentially, it's possible. Um, that's the wrong burden. And I think that good plot, good plaintiff teams called it out and said, look, they have the wrong burden. It's not about what's possible. It's what's more likely. And they're not saying, no, no one has said today that this is more likely. Everyone is on the same page, actually, that the most likely explanation is this. That's how you should find. Use their own words. Um, and that's that's tough for the defense to overcome um, without without cheating or doing something they're not allowed to do. So anyway, I, I think that you're you're right to mention it. I'm glad that changes were made. Um, I think that it could have been nice for regionals, but I do think that I'm glad they just eventually got made and that Orcs was balanced as it was. Um, so Ben, I'll toss it back to you. I know you have a, a final announcement you wanted to close with. Yeah. So obviously this is a little bit of a shorter episode, so we won't dwell on this for too long. But 
you know, we're recording this um, the week of March 20th and, and, you know, we're getting ready to, to launch into national season, but I just wanted to mention, so I let my, my program know this yesterday. I'll probably post something on social media later this week or something like that. But I, I informed my program yesterday that I am actually stepping down as head coach of, of UMBC mock trial effective, probably in the next couple of months. Um, you know, I, look, this podcast isn't really about you or me. And so I don't want to spend you know, endless amounts of time talking about stuff that doesn't pertain to most of the community. But I figured I'd just sort of mention it. Um, I'm not going anywhere. You'll still see my face around AMTA. I'm hoping to step up the amount of, you know, advertising and outreach that I do on behalf of Maryland Law, my law school program, which will now be, you know, my pretty much exclusive focus. Um, and I'll likely stay involved at UMBC in some form of advisory capacity. We're still kind of trying to work that out. But it turns out, running two programs at the same time and traveling with two programs at the same time is really, really hard and it's taxing and tiring. And I just kind of realized after, you know, eight, eight and a half full seasons as head coach of UMBC mock trial. And any of you who know me well know that I don't, I don't half-ass this. Like if I'm going to be head coach, I'm, I'm in it, I'm on the road. I'm, I'm working with this, you know, every student as much as I can. And I just don't have the energy to do that with both programs. And I really want to continue to build on the success that we've been having at Maryland. So we're working on a transition plan at UMBC. We're not going anywhere. I know we didn't make nationals last year, but we fully intend to be back there in Chicago next year. I'm confident we're going to have a great person or people taking over and we'll announce that in the next couple of weeks or months. Um, but I just kind of wanted to mention it to our listeners because, you know, there's a lot of you out there who... You know, I, I feel like, Drew, I don't know if you feel this. I, I, I know you're not at AMTA tournaments as much as I am these days. But this year, I feel like once or twice or three times at every tournament that I'm at, somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, big fan of the show. It's really nice to meet you. And I don't say that to brag. I say it to say, I think this is such a cool community that we have the really good fortune of being a part of. And I definitely don't want to lose that. I'm not going to, you know, step away from that or anything like that. My role in AMTA is just changing. Um you know, from being the head coach of UMBC mock trial to something a little different. So I appreciate Drew, you giving me a few minutes to make that announcement. I'm excited for what's coming next. I'm excited to tell people more about, you know, what I'm doing at Maryland law and some of the things that we're building there. And um, I'm excited to see the future of UMBC mock trial. We have such an amazing alumni base, coaching base, and I'm confident that that people will step up and, and things will be great in the future. So there's my announcement. Thanks for giving me a few minutes to drone on about uh, things going on in my life. Well, I, I want to first just react to it by saying that I know personally, and I think that a lot of people in the, the AMTA community feel this way, your name has been synonymous with UMBC Mock Trial um, for, for as long as UMBC Mock Trial has been relevant. And it's definitely, um, you know, I, I, I'm sad to hear that you're stepping away from that role, but I'm excited for you and, and what your future holds. And I'll just say, I think that I didn't have an appreciation for this until this year, but law school mock trial, um, not only is it intense and a lot, uh, but it's, it's intense at the same times as the AMTA world in terms of February and March being just absolutely crazy times. And I mean, I have openly said this. I had to step a lot away from both the Tulane and the Haverford undergraduate teams, and I wasn't able to do as much for them because I was busy prepping for for one tournament. Um, you know, Ben, I assume UMBC probably has four or five different tournaments that you guys are, or sorry, not UMBC, but Maryland Law plays four or five different tournaments that you guys are going to between February and March between all your different teams. 
Um, and it's like four or five different cases that you're probably having to prep. That's just, that's a lot for one person to be trying to keep your hand in that many different cookie jars and helping out an AMPTA program. Um, it, I, I, my hat was off to you throughout this year, and I totally can understand that being difficult and draining. Um, and just, you know, I think that it's, it's hard. AMTA competitors, we kind of think of it as one case for the whole year. The law school world is, you know, probably 20, 30 different competitions um, that you can choose from, and each of them have their own case. Um, each of them have, to a certain extent, their own rules. And it is a lot to be responsible for multiple different teams within that. Um, I look forward to hearing all of the developments that you have at Maryland Law, and I'm sure that UMBC is still going to be the powerhouse that they've been. Um, so, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing it with everyone. Um, I know when you told me, I was almost stunned, but uh, I do. I can understand it, and it's it's I'm sure not an easy decision that you came to, but uh, I, I hope it's for the best. Yeah, it was it was a brutally difficult decision to make. It's been, you know, UMBC has been such a labor of love and will continue to be in whatever function that I'm able to assist in. But, you know, this iteration, because we did have a previous iteration before we went dormant um, in like the mid 2000s, but this iteration began in 2011 and I was on that team. So for the 12 seasons we've existed, I've been involved in some capacity, be it as a competitor, as an advisor, and then as a coach for, for all 12 seasons. And I certainly will continue to help guide the program. I, I love UMBC as a program with all my heart to win a national championship, but my alma mater is like literally a dream come true. Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate the kind words. I appreciate I've mentioned, I've chatted with a couple other coaches who who know this information and and they've all been very kind and said nice things and, and been, you know, far too effusive in, in their thoughts. So I appreciate all of that. And I'm just really excited to see what happens at nationals. I think we've got a lot of really cool things coming down the pipe. We're working on a nationals case analysis episode and a nationals preview episode. Those won't be coming out for a couple weeks because the first weekend in April is Drew's Tyler nationals. And I know that, you know, as soon as we log off for this episode, he's basically going to go dark until after uh, Tyler nationals. So after the first weekend in April is when he and I will be able to connect again and start to put together some of those episodes um, so that we can really get a chance to break down everything with the national championship. And before we know it, we're going to have a new national champion or maybe a repeat national champion, who knows, um, but we're going to have so much to talk about. And Drew, I'll wrap us up by saying, I cannot wait to see what happens at nationals to see how your Haverford team does. I feel like nationals is wide open this year. Don't have the faintest clue who's going to win it all, but no matter what you and I will get a chance to talk about it. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yep. I couldn't agree more, man. Well, on that note, we appreciate everybody listening, uh, and we appreciate everyone being a little patient with the schedule for our week one review, which by the time you're listening to this should have been out for a couple days. Uh, until we talk to you again, and until we are in your feed next time, this has been The Mock Review. Ben and Drew.